it's time once again for another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio, broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta. And now here's your host, Emily Rowell. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. I am your host, Emily Rowell, and I have attorney Lewis here with me in the house. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks, Emily. Good. Thank you so much for being here. Attor- Attorney Joyce uh, Gist Lewis is with Shingler Lewis LLC, and she's the managing partner of Shingler Lewis LLC, a minority and women-owned law firm representing businesses in a range of litigation matters, including commercial litigation, coverage disputes, and liability defense. Joyce is Martindale Hubble AV rated preeminent and has been recognized in Atlanta Magazine as one of the top 50 women super lawyers in Georgia for 2015 and 16. She has practiced law in Atlanta for 17 years and has tried multiple cases to favorable jury verdicts in state and federal courts throughout Georgia. Joyce chairs the State Bar of Georgia's Statewide Judicial Evaluation Committee, as well as the Bar's Committee to Promote Inclusion in the Profession, and she is president-elect of the Lawyers Club of Atlanta. Wow, there's a list. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of a list. <laughs> so tell me, first, just starting off, how did you get into law? What, what's your little background story there? Um, I actually went to school to, uh, to be an actor. Um, I was a double major in theater and English at Wake Forest University in North Carolina, and um, I've always liked being up in front of people. I've always liked um, telling other people's stories, Um, (laughs) and that's one of the things that I get to do as a trial attorney. Um, One of the things I get to do is try to translate the dispute or the issue into language that the jury can understand so that they can see the story, hopefully, from my client's point of view. So that's that. that that was my entree. Okay. All right. So as a business attorney, what do you want businesses to know when they are named in a lawsuit? Well, the number one thing that small business owners should know, and I, I, I'm always surprised to find out that people don't necessarily know this, is that if you are a business owner in Georgia, you have to have an attorney represent you if you're sued. You cannot go into court and represent yourself. And that doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter what the size of the claim is. So, for example, a lot of folks will get a small claims court, a magistrate court claim filed against them by a plaintiff. And they will show up to court and think, well, I can, I can defend my business myself. You can't. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the privileges of being able to incorporate and being able to have the protection of being a business comes along with the burden of the state uh, mm-hmm. regarding that business as a separate legal entity from okay. you. So there is no pro se defense. If you gotcha. are sued as a business owner, you must find an attorney. And in my experience, it's much smoother if you have already identified who that attorney is going to be before you get served with a lawsuit. Yeah. I mean, if you've already got a relationship with an attorney, you don't have to spend time going back and starting over again and telling them everything that happened. You know, they've already, they already kind of know. So it'd be just an easy next step is to you know, use that same attorney for the suit. Right. And um, typically with my small business clients, that's what will happen. If I make a relationship um, 
from helping them get their their organizational papers together or reviewing an employee handbook for them. Um, we develop a rapport. I mm-hmm. learn a little bit more about their business. I get to know them um, personally and that makes it much more comfortable when something does happen for them to pick up the phone and call me and say, Joyce, what should I do? So what are some of the challenges for businesses when they are named in a lawsuit? Well, uh, you know, for a lot of small business owners, this business is like their baby. It's like their Mm -hmm. child. That's a good point. And, um, you know, they've poured a lot of themselves into it. And then when they see a lawsuit get filed, they're faced with the prospect often of of losing a substantial amount of the the profits. Um, Small businesses tend to run on on very lean margins. They don't necessarily have a lot of expendable uh, profit that, that can then be given to someone else in, sure. in a lawsuit. Um, so cost is really one of the main challenges. And there are certain things that you can insure against. So with my business clients, I try to make sure that they have the appropriate kinds of insurance. There's liability insurance for the business. Someone gets hurt or there, there's an incident with a product that you're, that you're selling or that you're manufacturing. But also there's employer liability insurance. So if there is a discrimination claim or if there is a uh, a wrongful termination claim um, of, of any sort, you have some coverage there so that mm-hmm. hopefully the insurance company will be the one paying your, your attorney's bills nice. rather than you having to pay them directly. Right, right. So that brings me to the next question. What can they do? What does a business owner do to avoid litigation? I would imagine one of the things would be to start their business with an attorney. <laughs> well, starting starting a business with an attorney, we start as you mean to go go forward is yeah. is a great motto for any business person. And one of the uh, kinds of claims that our firm handles is business divorce. Um, so, mm-hmm. if we when people start a business, they start with a partner or a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is assuming everything's going to go great. Sure, you, you really need to start with a more skeptical view, and you need to start with a plan from the standpoint of an operating agreement that contemplates what you're going to do if things don't work out, Mm -hmm. contemplates how you're going to dissolve the company, contemplates what happens if a partner is going to leave the company. And that's certainly something that a business attorney can assist with. Um, The other thing I would say is getting an attorney involved earlier rather than later gives the attorney more options. Often if there's a dispute, the first time you hear about the dispute is not going to be when you're being served with papers. You're going to have some notice ahead of time. There's going to be a letter or there's going to be a phone call or there's going to be someone telling you, you know, we we think we have have, have a claim against you. If you have a relationship with an attorney already, then you can pull them in at that point and you can say, you know, can you deal with this? Can you help me avoid getting into the lawsuit to begin with? And often you can. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell me, how can a business owner protect their client information or other confidential information? when an employee resigns or is terminated? Well, first of all, you want to have policies in place. Again, this is the start as you mean to go. Mm-hmm. You want to have policies in place from the time that you hire so that people sure. understand when they're hired. They can be uh, asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement. They can be asked to, to um, sign non-solicitation agreements or other re- what we call restrictive covenant type agreements where they're um, affirming to you at the time of hire that they understand that your information is confidential. It needs to be protected. They understand that they're not to share that with competitors or with anyone right. um, during their employment or after the termination of their employment, and that if they do 
so, um, that there will be a consequence for that and likely a consequence um, from a legal perspective. Right, right, yeah. All right, you're listening to Atlanta Legal Experts with your host, Emily Rao, on the uh, Pro Business Channel Studios here in Buckhead. And we're having a conversation with Joyce uh, Gist Lewis, uh, with uh, Shingler Lewis. And uh, I was most impressed by your bio. Not that we just passed over it, but this idea that you're the top 50 women super lawyers. You know, there's 44,000 attorneys in the state of Georgia. That's pretty (laughs) impressive. That's a big deal. I want to be a super lawyer when I grow up one day. (laughs) There's no cape. (laughs) Yeah. Once I found that out, I'm like, I'm not in. Yeah. So talk to us about, um, we were listening, we're on the business uh, channel right here. So talk to us about, as a business owner, um, if there's a conversation and there's not been a formal, a formal suit filed, um, should someone still reach out to an attorney prior to the papers being filed, I guess? or um? Yes, because, again, it gives you options. Um, a- attorneys can respond to the letters and can explain your position. Um, sometimes if you're, if you're a business owner and you're not uh, an attorney, you don't have a legal background, um, there can be a tendency to want to say, well, if I just – ignore this, it'll it'll go away. away. (laughs) And it hardly ever Mm -hmm. goes away. Ignoring it is never really the best strategy. Um, If you bring in an attorney early, um, A, uh, there may be a a flat rate. You you, you may be able to um, say, yes, I can respond to this and deal with this for you prior to suit being filed for a flat fee. Um, And we as business attorneys have a good idea of how long it's going to take us to have telephone conversations with the opposing party, um, write a a response to a demand letter, um, and basically try to secure your position. There have been numerous times when I've been able to avoid a claim for my clients altogether simply with a very well-written letter. Or more proactive as well, you know, before it kind of stews or whatever, right, and uh, gets worse potentially. Exactly. Okay. So um, also, from a business perspective, uh, talk to us about, uh, Emily had mentioned about employee and relations and so forth in the, in the uh, workplace. Talk to us about um, a disruptive employee. And uh, <laughs> I didn't if you were watching this on our YouTube channel, you saw her eyes, it's all uh, light up. So um, what are some steps or some um, uh, give, or takeaways you'd give a business owner dealing with a disruptive employee scenario? Well, the, the scenario that has come up most recently for me is I've, I've got a small business owner client who has approximately 30 employees statewide, um, has a corporate office, and has had an employee who has been consistently showing up late for work, mm-hmm. has been um, uh, taking naps with her <laughs> office with her office door closed um, has been has <laughs> been has been insubordinate to her immediate superior yeah. sure. and. If there has not been good documentation of these instances as they mm. go on, then when it finally reaches that tipping point, when you get to the straw that breaks the camel's back, right. um, the employee turns around and says, oh, well, you didn't fire me because of me being disruptive. You fired me because, you know, you are discriminating against right, right, me yeah. right. in some way. And the employer is then faced with the lack of a record, which, right. you know, there are certain things you can do. Certainly people can testify about what they observed. It, the, the lack of a written record is not fatal, but it makes things so much easier right. mm-hmm. if when someone is complaining about a wrongful termination or complaining about discrimination, if you've got a well-documented personnel file that says, you know, they were late this many times, they were caught sleeping in their office, they got into a verbal shouting match, 
match with their immediate superior on X date. Uh, it, it just cements your position and gives you a much easier road to travel. Also, if you don't take action, it kind of sets the precedent for the other 29 employees. Like, well, I guess if it's okay it, right. that we can do this, right? No, that and, 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 that's, and that's, absolutely, that's absolutely true because one of the things from a wrongful termination standpoint, for example, um, if someone's making a claim for unemployment, um, and they could say, well, other people yeah. talk just at, and behave mm-hmm. just the same way right. in the office. They're not always early. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, it, it does kind of set that environment, and you have to kind of like, again, be proactive. And, um, and other, other folks in the, in the business can say, well, that doesn't seem to be the pattern that the company's following, right? And then also just being able to be in communication with them about some people just avoid it, like you said earlier, just kind of... Sp- Sweep it under the rug. People don't like conflict. Exactly. But to start out (laughs) right away and talk to them, and then they can't turn around and say, well, you didn't tell me this. You know, I didn't know. Yeah. And then write that down that you had discussions with them. Right. You want to document any sort of what we call counseling sessions mm-hmm. um, with the employee, with the disruptive employee. And yeah, and it does serve a twofold purpose. It certainly does um, ensure that they are on explicit notice that their behavior is unacceptable and that there will be a consequence. And it also gives you that advantage of having documented the bad behavior in case things go further south down mm-hmm. the road. I'm speaking from experience. Yeah, she's winking at me. I don't know why, <laughs> why you looked at me when you said that. Yeah. Well, we We're had ob- somebody that we had yeah, documented yeah. in the past oh, and know, yeah. written it down. And luckily, because she had denied everything, she denied that we had talked to her. She had denied, you know, so luckily we'd had it all written down. And so that, that helped tremendously. But um, so cybersecurity. Oh. Yeah, switching, new, switching gears, switching no segue, gears. but yeah, we're almost out of time for this segment, but I saw that on the list, too. I definitely want to hear your yeah, perspective and uh, talk to us about cybersecurity okay, issues. Okay, so, so one of the things that we do um, as small business attorneys is advise our clients on what their potential exposure is from a privacy and cybersecurity standpoint. Um, a lot of small businesses, including small law firms, don't think that they are a likely target for cyber hacking. Yeah, um, you know, they, are, they are not the Democratic National Committee. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Russia is not going to come after their emails. <laughs> um, but, but what, what uh, hackers will do is come after personally identifiable information. Okay, so any business that accepts credit cards, any business that has mm-hmm. em- employees um, is going to have certain sensitive information. You're going to have account numbers. You're going to have people's dates of birth, people's social security numbers. If for some reason you are collecting that information as part of your business, if you're in the healthcare industry, if you're in the financial industry, um, it makes you an attractive target. And one of the reasons that smaller businesses are more attractive targets is because they're low-hanging fruit. If Mm. you're a large company, then you tend to have your own in-house IT. You tend to have more more robust protections. Whereas if you're a smaller business, it's more likely that you've just sort of hired a contractor to to come in and you don't necessarily have the systems in place. My number one piece of advice for small business owners is to get with a business attorney and make sure that you at least have a plan, that you have something that if if you are hacked, you would be able to demonstrate that you thought about um, what these protections should be and that you implemented something to try to protect your uh, your sensitive information, your client information. I mean, you almost play, you're like the insurance for, <laughs> really, I mean, you're, I mean, you're not insurance, but you know what I'm saying? You're, uh, maybe I should Legal say Legal insurance us, for, yeah. for your business. Yeah, you know, or to insurance, insure, To insure, yeah. Say. 
Well, right, and I, I think it's a crucial. I think it's a crucial aspect of of any business owner when they're going into business, or even if they've got a business that's already in place. I certainly have people come to me that have been in business for a number of years and say, "Well, I've never needed an attorney before," and it's like, "Well, when we go through and look at what you have in place and what you don't have in place, you have needed an attorney before. You <laughs> you just <laughs> haven't you. realized right. it." Right. Well, thank you so much. Your experience is definitely huge. I mean, just listening to you, you're definitely professional, and um, you know what you're talking about. Um, so the people that are listening that have more questions, how can they reach you? Um, they can certainly reach out. Uh, our, imp- our contact information is on our website, um, www.shinglerlewis.com, um, and our phone number is 404 907 1999. So um, if you have questions, please feel free to reach out. We'll be more than happy to talk to you about your business. Thank you so much for being on the show. That was attorney Joyce Gist Lewis on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. And welcome to another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. I am your host, Emily Rowell, here with attorney Nick Schneider. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Um, He is the founder and managing partner of the Nick Schneider Law Firm, LLC. And he focuses on trial personal injury cases, including auto accidents, slip and falls, medical malpractice, trucking, and wrongful death cases. These are hard cases. They are, absolutely. And all of us know somebody who's had to go through something like this. Yes, absolutely. So tell me first, how did you get into law? It's a great question when I get a lot. A lot of uh, people, when I was a kid, they would, uh, they'd be like, oh, you love to argue. You should be a lawyer. That's kind of the, the <laughs> thing. Say that, that to my son. <laughs> Say that to my son. Yeah, I have a seven-month-old. Hopefully I'll have that conversation with him. But um, I found at a young age that I, I basically enjoyed storytelling, and I was big on rules. And that's what uh, uh, lawyers are. We're, we're, we follow the rules, and we, uh, we basically make, as I tell my clients, we make it real. What we okay. do is we take something that happened. Uh, potentially two, three years before the the day we get to speak to a, a judge or a jury, mm-hmm. and we say, "Look, this is something that was has real implications, and and it, maybe it's a, a picture in front of you, or a, or a news story, or um, you know, a, a guy in a, a wheelchair sitting in front of you." But we, what we have to do is we have to make this real. We have to yes. basically uh, say that, "Look, this was done by someone else. This is, has long lasting implications, and, and this is important." And it's and been two years, and you're still in a wheelchair, so. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge. You seem to have a lot of passion. I love it. I love that. what I do every day. So, and that's why you focus on personal injury work. It is. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, when I first got out of uh, school. I did uh, wills, trust, and estates for okay. a few months, and uh, although it's it's very important, and it's something that that I've sought out uh, with a new kid. Uh, mm-hmm. It's. I found that it was very specific type of people that I helped. It was uh, mm-hmm. very uh, people who were doing quite well. And, and in uh, personal injury law, mm. I help all types of people, which is sure. what I love. Uh, I grant access to people who, who, who've never thought they'd ever speak to an attorney, who, who hopefully thought they'd never need my services. But um, when, when, they, when they see me, they, they brighten up and they, they see some light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's a big part of what personal injury work is and something that a lot of people don't understand is um, on the other side, you've got a multi-billion-dollar corporation who does this day in, day out, mm. and then you finally got somebody who who just doesn't understand what's happened, who who didn't do anything to cause this, um, is scared and frightful, and is, is seeking help. And I think when you look at it that way, um, you really do make make differences in people's lives. That's why I love what I do. Now, that's just a little bit of a segue, and this is not one of your questions, but. 
one of your favorite cases? Can you kind of give me a general? Uh, absolutely. There's kind of two cases that I um, really find uh, interesting. One is that uh, the client is in a situation, and uh, in their eyes, they did nothing wrong, and uh, all of a sudden, everyone's pointing fingers at them. A uh, police officer gives them a citation. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side makes up a story they don't believe, and they are running around going, I, I don't know what to do. This is completely ridiculous. And they come to me and they say, look, this is the mountain of evidence against me. I don't know what to do. And I'm able to take that and go, this is very surface level. You know, a lot of times police officers show up and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to make the call. They kind of talk to everybody and they're, you know, they're 30 minutes after. And they say, "Uh, okay, you look like you're at fault. And so they kind of point that finger. But Mm -hmm. um, once they're giving it to somebody who's actually investigating, who's actually speaking, digging deep, really advocating for them, uh, and all of a sudden, everything turns around. They go, that's what I said. This is right, what that's I did really what happened. Right, <laughs> right. right. Um, so that's one type of case that I love. And then the other type is uh, when someone has just been absolutely, uh, their whole life has kind of been flipped upside down. And um, they don't know what n- is next. You know, all mm-hmm. they know about is that they're, they've been in ICU for two weeks. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. What is the next step? Or... Uh, you know, they're not even sure what they're going to do. You know, their job's gone. They're, they can't perform their job anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more yeah, questions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. That's amazing. Sure. So um, now a trial attorney, tell me the significance of that. Sure. So a lot of people uh, have dealt with uh, attorneys in the past, personal injury attorneys, who uh, they – they negotiate on your behalf, and mm-hmm. they try to do the best they can. But when it comes, when push comes to shove, uh, you know they get this offer on the table, and they're like, "That's that's that's nothing compared to what I thought this case was worth." Mm-hmm. And then the attorney says, "Oh well, I mean that's that's what's on the table, so take it or leave it." Uh, that's not what I do. I've been doing this for several years, and uh, I'm able to make an independent evaluation of a case and say, "Look." That's not what this, you know, this is not what this case is worth. I understand not only how to negotiate and resolve a case, but I also know how to take it all the way to a judge or jury and say, look, if need be, I can pry it from your cold, dead hands. This was done to my client. This is what this case is worth. And I can seek that uh, full amount to make sure that my clients are able to, to recover and move forward. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so Emily and I were in different auto accidents and obviously that's a big part of in your wheelhouse. So talk to us about, um, some takeaways or tips or, um, things that people might be aware of, but some of the things that they may not think of in terms of that, uh, when they have an incident of that type. Sure. Uh, I think the first thing that you have to worry about is safety. Make sure everyone's all right. Touch mm-hmm. base, you know, talk to everyone involved. That's step one. But after that, I always suggest that, that you get the police involved in some way, make right. sure they show up document everything um, and basically begin to kind of establish what happened on that day. And then uh, then it would shift to the people involved to basically start beginning to collect some type of preliminary evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, take pictures. Lots. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you speak to a witness, don't just trust that the, um, that the police officer is going to get their information. Right. Get their phone number. Get their name. Get their email. Something. Because as I tell my clients, the harsh reality of it, it doesn't matter what happened. It matters what, what can be proven. Right. And so if this person walks up and says, hey, are you okay? And you're like, not really. Thank you for asking. And they're like, all right, bye. And they leave. Right. Uh, and then the police officer shows up 20 minutes later. That person is non-existent. They, right. they, they did not exist for the purposes of your case. So right. um, 
you know, safety, police, um, evidence, and then uh, if you're injured, if something did happen, you're starting to feel pain. And you may not feel it immediately. You may feel right. it the next day or that night. Um, get treatment. Make sure you're 100%. You know, a lot of our male clients are like, I'm fine. Uh, I can shake this off. And then uh, three weeks later, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is horrendous. It hasn't stopped. Why haven't I done anything? Uh, you know, that's the question is you sure. want to get better. And then finally is seek counsel. Is, uh-huh. is, is now that all this has happened, make sure you want to get somebody involved as soon as possible because you know the insurance company had somebody day one uh, uh-huh. at the uh, collision site. So you want somebody as soon as possible advocating on your behalf as well so people don't, as I say, disappear. What is the, what is the um, bar? Like what is, where, when do you know to call an attorney? Uh, that's a question a lot of people um well, way differently mm-hmm. uh, as an attorney. What who, do you think? Yeah, <laughs> as, an, as an attorney who um, has seen hundreds of, of cases as soon as possible is typically. Uh, so it doesn't matter if, like, if you haven't been injured, do you need an attorney? You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, potentially, yeah. If your if your vehicle was uh, damaged, or okay. if, yeah, if there's anything that you think. Uh, you need representation against, you know, to, to advocate for you, absolutely, as soon as possible. And worst case, just a consultation, an attorney can tell you what are what are the things right. to consider. That's a good point. Like, mm-hmm. no, we don't need to, you don't need to hire me, or yes, you definitely need to hire me. That helps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So um, what are the benefits of, an, of having an attorney who does solely personal injury work instead of several different types of law. Yeah. As I tell my people, you wouldn't ask your uh, foot doctor to do your brain surgery. Uh, and so... <laughs> a kick in the head. He yeah, might exactly. Give you, yeah. <laughs> and a, a lot of people... Um, a lot of people think, okay, well, you know, Uncle Jimmy did my will five years ago so he can handle this catastrophic injury trucking case I've been involved in. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We all like Uncle Jimmy except for in that scenario. Exactly, right? right? <laughs> and I'm sure he's a great, you know, I'm sure he wrote a great will. But um, I think it's important to, as you all mentioned earlier, is that this is complex. And there's a lot of different aspects of it. You've got insurance law. You've got personal injury law. You've got property law. You've got contracts, depending on your insurance. So there's so many aspects of it. that You want somebody who's a specialist who understands exactly. that this is what they do day in, day out. And that... You know, this is not going to be something that's new to them, and they, they, they goof up some type of standard. Or if a governmental entity is involved, you have to put them on notice, and there's just so many additional steps that somebody who doesn't do this day in, day out will make that mistake. And all of a sudden, your case that was worth a great deal of money has now plummeted to a tenth mm. of that. And mm. the other side knows it because that's, you know, their attorneys, that's they all won. they do day in, day out. So right. they're like, Pfft. You know, hey, right. Uncle Jimmy, nice to see you. I'm glad you were the one who was retained. So um, that's why I think it's so important to find somebody who, who handles everything. Uh, and that has the experience. Exactly. So how does your firm, um, how are you different from other personal injury firms? Sure. So the number one complaint that I've heard from uh, personal injury clients is that there's just no contact. They, they feel like mm-hmm. it's day one, they sign the contract, and then maybe they get a call you know, six months later saying, hey, will you take five dollars um i worked i've worked at uh several farms i've worked at uh medium-sized small and uh now that i've uh, gone on on my own and and started my own firm i feel like uh, i'm addressing those those points that people hate about this process basically personal touch exactly um (laughs) knowing you know who you're dealing with having somebody on contact making sure an attorney is handling 
uh, mm-hmm. every aspect of cases, and it's not just some underling that you, you speak to once every six months, is that you, you're kept on track. You know with confidence that this is being handled properly and that somebody really is in your corner doing the right thing. And I think that's the, the greatest advantage that's provided by my firm. So tell me, how do you get to your clients? Do you have a lot of referrals? Do you do a lot of networking? Do you have buses that you put advertising <laughs> Yeah. <on? laughs> Luckily, none of, none of the buses in, in advertising <laughs> such as that yet. Uh, I find that uh, personal referrals are absolutely the best you know, that you want to deal with. Sure. Uh, I have several attorneys that I talked about, and I love them to death, who really don't understand the, the litigation aspects. And so sometimes I, I get cases from them that say, look, right. I don't know what to do at this point, you know, make it happen. And they want me to kick the, to kick the door in. Uh, but mostly it's through uh, people who, who've heard of me through fantastic uh, things like this. Yes. Uh, or um, through just people who have said, look, you know, I know Nick, he's done a great job. Um, have him have them set forward for you, and, and that personal touch starts from day one. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you being on the show, and if you would let our listeners know how they can reach you. Absolutely. Um, you can uh, find me on my on my website, which is schneider, spelled S-C-H-N-Y-D-E-R, lawfirm.com. Uh, my email is nick at schneiderlawfirm.com, same spelling, and my number is 404-902-3553. This is an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) That was Nick Schneider on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. And welcome to another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. I am your host, Emily Rowell, and I have mediator Joe Murphy, Esquire. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Excellent. I'm Thank so you. glad you're here. Glad to be here. And he is with Miles Mediation and Arbitration Services, and he is an attorney. That's right. But we're going to talk more about mediation. And uh, I will read your bio. As a team leader at Miles Mediation, Joe has conducted over 2,000 mediations. Wow. He practiced for nearly 20 years with the Atlanta firm of Krim and Bassler, LLP. He was a partner with the firm from 94 until 2007. In August of 07, he formed Murphy's Law Firm, LLC. Though he still enjoys appearing for clients in the role of an attorney, he derives much personal and professional satisfaction through his work as a mediator. He is a member of the Georgia Academy of Mediators and Arbitrators, an association recognizing the top 5% neutral attorneys in the state with substantial experience in the resolution of civil slash commercial disputes. He has also been honored as a Georgia super lawyer and is AV rated, the highest rating possible for ability and ethics by Martindale Hubble. And in 2016, this year, Joe was named as an ADR champion trailblazer blazer, sorry, by the National Law Journal, and he was the only mediator in Georgia to receive this prestigious distinction. So we need to call you. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go back I'm a little bit. I'm afraid to say anything after that introduction. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you got to prove it now. I can only go down from there. <laughs> so how did you get started in law? Good question. Uh, we did not have a lawyer in the family, and uh, my grandmother desperately wanted to have a lawyer in the family. So um, mm-hmm. when I would visit her in the small town they lived in, she would uh, take me to the courthouse in the town square there in the small town in North Carolina, and I would sit there on the, the wooden benches, my legs not touching the floor, the windows were open, the fans were blowing, and, and these fat old men in seersucker suits would start around and, and try their cases. And I just remember turning to her and saying, Grandmama, did they get paid to do this? <laughs> <laughs> we, th- there was also a tobacco farm, so you know, the juxtaposition of working in the tobacco fields and seeing these guys getting paid to, to do that was uh, 
was pretty stark. Mm-hmm. I was reminded of Clarence Darrow once was asked to explain his success at law, and he said it came through hard work. One summer he tried hard work, and he didn't like it, so he decided <laughs> to become a lawyer. <laughs> You're a good audience. I like Rich. this guy, Joe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what is mediation, and why is it so important? Mediation is basically just uh, an effort by parties in anything that's disputed. Any, any, anything that can be disputed or uh, litigated can be mediated, but it's the effort of the parties to get together and get it resolved through settlement. And the difference between that and just a settlement meeting would be it's hosted by a neutral or someone who has no uh, dog in the fight who can keep the parties on track in their discussions. And being a former lawyer, you obviously have bring that extra knowledge to the mediation. I think so. Am I correct? I think I think so. And it also helped, I mean... Not a former lawyer, sorry, a lawyer uh, as well. well. I like to consider myself a former lawyer because <laughs> I, I, I need the GPS to find the courthouse these days. Uh, I'm the first to say that I, I, I like the fact that I don't really actively practice law. Um, but I, I think it does help. And also, I think it's how you practice law. I know a lot of excellent attorneys who, at the end of a 20- or 30-year uh, litigation career like mine, they want to become mediators, but... They, they torched a few too many bridges across the way, I think, and the way they dealt with people worked. It was effective, but it was very scorched earth, and, and nobody really wanted to pay them to then uh, be the mediator, uh, whoever had litigated with them. So I, I, I like to think I, I did litigate in a way that I, I didn't – I cultivated more friendships and relationships along the way, I, I, I hope. At least I'm Yeah, told. yeah. Well, you've been doing mediation for quite some time. Uh, started in 2005. Yeah, so um, I'm hoping you figured out that you didn't burn any bridges. I, I'm I might have burned a couple, but I think, <laughs> and that, and that's the tough thing. I think the, the two toughest things to do in juxtaposition as a lawyer are to be liked and respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, being liked and not respected is easy. Being respected and not liked, I think, is easy. But for people to say, "Hey, that person was really tough," but I enjoyed working with them, mm-hmm. and and that's that's what you want to strive for. I, I can't say I hit that perfectly every time, but. Um, when I look back and see that people were willing to mediate with me, hire me as a mediator who I had litigated against, um, I felt like my mama must have done something right. Yeah. <laughs> teaching me how to deal with other people. Or grandmother. People. <laughs> Absolutely. I had a lot of help. <laughs> it took a family and a village. <laughs> so is the purpose of mediation to settle those cases before they go to trial? Certainly. Um, I, so, yes. I mean, in a word, yes, because what you're trying to do, and it's not, I think a lot of times mediation or ADR, alternative dispute resolution, is touted for the savings in time and money. And that's, and that's important because if you can get a case resolved through settlement before you've invested the time of completely litigating it, mm-hmm. then that's optimal. But I think the biggest part is just who the decision makers are. Um, every day in a mediation, I preside over the parties who are involved. They know the case intimately. You've got lawyers or claims representatives who are experts at evaluating cases. Um, every jury is unfortunately the exact opposite of that group. Mm-hmm. I mean, as lawyers know, when you pick a jury, we don't really pick a jury. We unpick a jury. They bring out 24 people and uh, the lawyers ask questions. And the questions are designed to find out who we don't like. Say if it was a personal mm-hmm. injury case, the defense lawyer would say, Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt and sued somebody over that. Everyone who raises their hand, the defense lawyer will strike off. And the plaintiff's lawyer will say, uh, have you ever caused an accident and hurt somebody? Everyone who raises their hand, the plaintiff's lawyer will strike those people off. So the 12 that remain are absolutely weeded out of any 
opinions they have that might actually be helpful. Mm -hmm. I mean, their experiences uh, disqualify them. So (laughs) you end up with 12 people who are neutral, but who know the least about whatever it is that's in controversy. Uh, Every day at mediation, I've got the opposite group. They're, they're divided by their different opinions about what should happen in the case, but they're united by their connection to that case and their desire to get it done. That's a great answer. All right, and once again, you're listening to Atlanta Legal Experts with your host, uh, Emily Rao, and we're having a conversation with mediator Joe Murphy. And um, in your bio, I always find something interesting. So um, uh, did you want to get into law just so uh, you owned a firm called Murphy's Law? Where else have I heard that name? That name sounds familiar for some reason. That sounds familiar. That, yeah, that's kind of a funny story in itself. When I left the firm of Krim and Bassler, I was I was going to mediate, but I needed to have you know, a law a law office as well, and we had a, a small office we had rented, and so uh, I wanted to call it Murphy's Law, and my wife said that's silly, and uh, she's also an attorney who was with a, a large downtown firm at the time. Uh, now we still call it Murphy's Law. She's in with me, so she's she's Murphy's Law as well. So it's a, a husband and wife <laughs> team, but it works because I'm never there. I'm always mediating. But uh, people remember the name. I guess it's not a positive connotation right, in some right. senses, but I always say but it gets their attention. Memorable because yeah, yeah. anything can go wrong, and when yeah. it does, call Murphy's Law. Yeah, that's kind call of the oh, mediator. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, so talk to us about at the trial strategies and tactics, and um, you know how do you go about winning or uh, achieving a a beneficial outcome? Well, that's a good question, because obviously at trial it's about winning, and uh, you don't want to come in second place at a trial. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the silver medal doesn't doesn't feel too good. Um, Mediation's different. I always tell people at mediation, uh, it's like a carpool. We're all in the car together, and we have to cross the finish line at the same time. Uh, it's not a race, and there's winners and losers. But that said, there are people who get more out of mediation than others. Uh, you know, mediation is, is really marketed as a sort of a kumbaya, sit around the fire, hold hands, come together kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is some people are strategically better at negotiating. And those people, we're all sitting around the fire at the right. end, but they may have a better seat. They may be sitting closer to the fire. Um, and so I do tell people that uh, even though mediation is not a competition, it's a competition. It, it's, it's a bit of a ground acquisition game. So like trial, there are strategies. You want to go in with a plan. You want to know what you got to get out of it. If, uh, if, you're, uh, if your opponent is coming at you with things that you haven't anticipated, you probably haven't planned well, it's, it's, it's like a trial in that sense. And so mediation has the illusion of being non-aggressive and non-competitive, but it really is. Well, I think the perfect scenario outcome would be is that uh, you get parties to agree that this is the best for everyone involved, right? And everybody walks away feeling they accomplished and got at least part of what they intended, right? You would you would think so. I mean, I, I went into mediation always being told that if everybody leaves a little unsatisfied, then that's the best result. I'll okay. tell you, after doing okay. 2,000 mediations, the best result is everybody leaves thinking they got one over on the other guy. Right. Okay. And that can happen. That can happen. Wow. Yeah. Both sides can actually leave thinking they got the better end of the middle. Okay. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about human nature, people really don't want fair. They want the better end of fair. What's in it for them? Yeah, if you've ever had a sibling and uh, there was a piece of uh, pie left and it was cut in half, I mean, the one who cuts and the one who picks, right? And there's a difference. <laughs> right. And your mom would always play you against your brother that way. Um, it's kind of that. I mean, I find, uh, in fact, I had a mediation this week. It was pretty obviously coming down to a round number in the middle. It was a million-dollar case. The question was, how much above or below that was it going to be? Um, as it got closer to that number, greed set in. Yep. 
Greek can be good. And uh, it took about two hours longer than it probably needed to as they fought for the better side of that inevitable number. Wow. Wow, that's great. So tell me, it's congr- uh, mediation has continued to grow in popularity over the last 20 years. What does the future hold for mediation, and could ADR ever replace our civil court system? Mediation has grown am- amazingly. When I, I started practicing law uh, back in uh, <coughs> when the earth was still cooling, um, <laughs> <laughs> 1989. This guy needs his own radio show here. I think. Yeah. The, uh, back, back then, don't, not as soon as we're on the earth, but... Uh, at that time, ADR mediation existed, but it wasn't really prolific. It wasn't taught in law school. It might have been mentioned in law school. But uh, today there's specific requirements that law schools have to teach ADR, to teach mediation. Um, I think the growth of mediation has really been more of a something that doesn't exist now that existed, and I saw it briefly at the beginning of my legal career. Lawyers who uh, knew each other well, uh, there was more trust among lawyers. Uh, you, you either trusted the lawyers or you knew the ones you couldn't trust because it was a very small legal community. And with insurance companies and, and, and people like that, they had adjusters who had authority, and, and everybody had authority to deal, and it was a sort of a mutual trust, and you could sit down and settle a case or over the phone with somebody. Mediation has become a proxy for that. Um, there's less trust. There's, um, well, we just see it in our society. I mean, if you've got yeah. a Facebook account, <clears throat> you understand that people have very polarized opinions these days. They don't yeah. care about what anyone else thinks. Right. Everyone keeps their finger on the mic button. Nobody takes it off yeah. or listens anymore. Mediation has stepped in as a proxy for all of that, um, as a person who can mm. just get people to talk to each other and listen to each other. Uh, it will never replace trials, though, because trials are the trials really set the value for cases, and uh, trials serve as that thing that forces people to be pragmatic. Even if you're not a fan of compromise, if you're sitting at a mediation, you know that it's not a matter of if there will be a number or a value established for this case. It'll happen. If you can't get it done that day at mediation, there's a court out there, and mm-hmm. there's a jury out there that will hear that story. As unqualified as they might be, that jury is happy to put a value on that for you. So I don't think you can ever have ADR or mediation replacing good old-fashioned trials because that really is the backstop for all of this. Yeah, and people have a right to be to have, be heard. In Absolutely, a trial. Sixth Amendment right to yep. a civil trial by jury. So they can't. It's take my that favorite away. amendment. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so, uh, what should uh, so our listeners look for in a mediator or a mediator? Anyone named Joe Murphy would be excellent. That's Murphy with an E. That's, Murphy's that's, Law. That's, exactly. There you go. Um, Basically, I think it's a combination of someone who has experience, subject matter experience in whatever's being mediated, um, particularly if there's legal issues involved in the case. Um, but I think beyond that, you really want somebody who, who treats neutrality not as Switzerland-type neutrality, where you just drift like a ghost from room to room, but who's really willing to mix it up and be kind of an advocate for each room in the other room. Um, mediators need to be willing to roll their sleeves up and get into the fray. Um, Neutrality is debated among mediators, but my, my, my concept of neutrality is a very lean-in, um, agitative-type neutrality. Comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable, but keep the parties moving. Um, You've got to be personable and keep it upbeat. There's three words I never use, problem, worry, and concern. I have excised those words from my vocabulary. Uh, it was a New Year's resolution about four years ago. I don't use those words because mediators should be positive. But on the other hand... Um, I never let anybody off the mat. I'm never running for the mayor of the room that I'm sitting in at any given time. If somebody needs to hear something, I've got to be frank, always positive, and keep it moving. 
I bet you could do that. I try. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Can you just, one last question, a favorite case that um, you'd like to mediate, and not obviously too many details, but generality. This one's fairly fairly recent. It was um, late summer, and, and I love fresh vegetables. You didn't probably expect me to go that direction with the story. <laughs> that was our next um, question, yeah. What's your favorite food group? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this case involved a, uh, a gentleman who was a farmer down in South Georgia, and uh, as is not uncommon, one dusk, uh, uh, dusky day, uh, he was out on his tractor moving from field to field on a two-lane road in South Georgia, and a truck pops over the hill, and, and, uh, and a collision ensues. He was very thrown clear of the tractor, very seriously injured. Um, mm. By the time of mediation, he's, I mean, he was walking in on his own power and all that. But uh, the bottom line is this. He was just a wonderful old gentleman, and uh, the insurance company started kind of low. And through the process of the day, they got to know him. They fell in love with him, went back, got more money. You could see the evolution of a of a corporation seeing somebody appreciating the value of the case and changing their mind. And then at the end of the day, after the case resolved, um, he turned to me and says, you like cabbages? I said, I love cabbages. I love slaw. I love steamed cabbage. There's nothing I you know, don't like about a cabbage. He said, I got a bag of them down in my truck I cut this morning before I drove up here. I said, all right, I'll take part of my pay in cabbages, though. So, <laughs> so that day I got a great resolution. I met a wonderful gentleman who got treated fairly. Uh, the case resolved, and I went home with a bag of cabbages and uh, had them in every manner of uh, preparation for about three days. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's probably different like that in every case. You have something fun. Something. It really is. The, the parts are the same, but it's like a kaleidoscope. They come together differently every day. Sure. Well, tell our listeners how they can reach you so they can find out more. Absolutely. Uh, Miles Medi- <coughs> Excuse me. MilesMediation.com is the best way to reach me. Uh, that's our website at Miles Mediation. Uh, my email is jmurphy at milesmediation.com. That's Murphy with an E, M-U-R-P-H-E-Y. And... Uh, the number there is uh, six eight six seven eight three two zero nine one one eight. Be happy to mediate for anyone who needs that. Thank you for being on this morning. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, that was attorney. Um, yes, attorney and mediator Joe Murphy at Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. I am your host Emily Rowell. Signing out. Thank you again for joining Emily Rowell and her guests on the Pro Business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio.